Hallo und willkommen to the 3T RPG Podcast. My name is Hans Hunt. And no, I'm not doing that actually. Uh, <laughs> hello and welcome to the 3T RPG Podcast. My name is Harrison Hunt and with me is Nick Lamley. Hello. And of course, we've got Jimmy Clizzle up in this shizzle. How are you, man? Yes, yes, quite fine, thank you. Now, for those that can't tell, this is, well, you know, we we cover a variety of topics on this show from the world of professional wrestling to superheroes to knitting techniques. And today, we're going to do an RPG show all about Ooh. tabletop RPGs. And boy, have we got a fucking corker of a show for you today, listeners. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be so full. We've got feedback. We've got news punch. We've got what you've been saying when we talk about what we've been playing. And then the main subject is going to be the one book every GM needs. Now, if that's not exciting, I don't know what is. And then we're mm. going to go to your electro letters and uh, see what you think the one book every GM needs is. Um, shall we do some feedback? Indeed. Yes, please. The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch. The feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. So last week, obviously, this being an RPG show, we st- we spoke about stealing stuff from pubs. And um, <laughs> Terry Hansen, he says, I acquire coffee mugs. For years, I never purchased sriracha. When I would get low, I would just head to a local noodle restaurant and, and get a to-go order. When I was checking my order, I would just put a bottle in my bag. Then a couple of years later, I realized how cheap sriracha was and bought my first bottle. <laughs> a lot. His, his first instinct was theft. It wasn't as if he thought, "Oh, I'll look how expensive this is." He just assumed and then went, "No, I'm stealing it." End of story. What's well, so what? What's the deal with the coffee mugs, though? I think it's that you know when you go out for a coffee and you steal the coffee mug. <laughs> Imagine to be fair, the one been like with a coffee and coaster, just be like, "Oh yeah, yeah but... sure, I'll just uh, put that in my bag." What's that smell? What's that soured milk smell? Oh, it's just a coffee, a frothy coffee mug that I nicked. Not to, we, we said last time we wouldn't give out techniques, but what you do is you drink the whole lot, then stuff it full of tissues, then clean it when you get home. Oh dear. But I'm drinking out of a Starbucks <laughs> mug that was stolen, and it, I didn't nick it. It was a girl I used to work with who gave it to me as a leaving present, because I always used to use it, so... But it's a huge one. I love it. And uh, yeah, so if, oh yeah, nice. And plus, you know, it's Starbucks. Who cares? Steal from them all you like. Take a chair home with you if you need yeah, a chair. Yeah, it's true. They can afford it. Yeah, that'd exactly. be brilliant. Just um, like, Excuse me, using this sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take that plant. Like walk around IKEA. Yeah, that's a pre- that's pretty nice. I'll take that. And uh, you behind the counter. Oh, fancy a job? I need my house cleaned. Come on. Off you come. <laughs> Daniel Irwin, he says, I once watched a guy steal an entire dartboard from a pub. Somehow he did up his jumper. <laughs> and he, he got about the wall. Th- good point. He got about 30 foot from the pub when he was apprehended. He tried to pretend he didn't have it, but then it just fell out. He was apprehended. <laughs> I, I just love the, I love the image of the darts team running after him. <laughs> yeah, all hurling darts. He's trying to fucking dodge him. <laughs> yeah. Come back here, and it, they're, they're like, bam, right in the back of his head. That's why he only got thirty foot away because he got felled by fucking darts. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> a few darts to the brain will really mess with your motor functions, man. You, there's, there's no keeping a dart ball, but a uh, dart ball up your jumper at that point. Dart ball, <laughs> dart ball. <laughs> that's right. Oh, it's early, man. It's, it's it's twenty past ten in the morning, which is too early for a fucking layabout like me. 
But all right, that's it for feedback this time. Nothing about RPGs, but yeah, stealing stuff from pubs. If you've got any more stories out there in Radio Land <laughs> about nicking stuff from pubs, let us know because this has been quite amusing. Yes, yes. or indeed, very interesting Asian restaurants or Sriracha Starbucks or coffee mugs. Yeah, whatever you like. Yeah, yeah. I want to know what random right, things from other places you've got. Actually, mm. yeah, that's a good mm. one. And we're not we're not doing like student traffic cone. Nah. No, I mean everyone's like a traffic cone in their life. Everyone. Oh, uh, well, one of my <laughs> mates, um, uh, yeah, I'll put, I'll, there's one up to that, um, got a set of traffic lights. Oh, <laughs> I hope he didn't disconnect them. He did. Oh he was, he did a bit yeah, of the he, he connected them in his room and then he had them as mood lighting, but they're bright as fuck when they're all on. <laughs> mood lighting. <laughs> mood lighting. Angry mood. I can't, <laughs> say that, yeah, the, I can't say that the mood's going to be very nice when a green light shout and shines out your window and a car comes <laughs> crashing into your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, let's do some news. News. News punch. Goodman Games plagiarizes artwork. Twats. Um, and I'm I'm gonna just I'm gonna say the joke now, right? Because it's a corker, and I've been been working on this one all night. <laughs> More like Badman Games. Uh, oh, <laughs> get out! <laughs> get out! Get your coat. So, um, Goodman Badman Games recently released the Kickstarter for a product called Crypt of the Devil Lich. Which is like a really difficult uh, dungeon crawl for 5e. And the cover for which featured a rather evocative picture of a devil lady. Who might be the titular devil lich. And as it turns out, the artist, someone called San Julian, plagiarised the art. And it's pretty fucking obvious. You, you couldn't even call it inspired by the original. You guys have seen the pictures in the document, right? Yeah, so it's a pure trace. Yep, looking at it right now. It, it pr- it's-, it's pretty much is... And uh, yeah, so the original was done by an artist named B- Belelis, and is actually a 3D illustration or 3D model of the Devil Woman sculpture, and it's available for print on his website. Cool. We'll put a link in the description here. But I just find it kind of funny because it's like, if you're going to plagiarize, maybe like you know take a bit out of it and do do a work inspired by it. But he's full on just coloured the original in. I mean, it's really quite bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a nice colouring. It's a really good, uh, you know. Oh yeah, they're both banging. He's made it fit for DCC, but the, uh. I've seen a technique done before where it's like what artists will do is they'll often colour it extremely differently and then flip it um, horizontally so that it's like so that if you were to do a reverse image search on Google, you wouldn't find the original. But this, it's like you would find the original. It's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Um, so the sad thing about all of this, though, right, is that you, the guy San San Julian San Julian, he's actually had like a really long, prosperous career in illustration, and he's done covers for like Conan novels, um, other works of Robert E. Howard, some DCC stuff, and uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty obvious why Goodman Games got him to work on the new one, but it's a it's a bit of a stupid thing to do because you know thousands of people mm. are going to be looking at it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Lazy, but yeah. So I guess um, the 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 one thing to that's of note though is that Goodman Games didn't know that it was plagiarized because you're not going to go and get every piece of art you get from your artist that you've paid and double check them and or you just probably won't even know the original. Do you know what I mean? So it's like they they didn't know. No, yeah, that's it. 
the sad fact is, is that they then replaced it with a new one that is, I've got to be honest with you, lads, fucking rubbish. Not as good? No. Oh, really? Because oh, it is good, isn't it? The ori- it's, it's a good <laughs> the fucking thing. The original plagiarized yeah. one's good. Yeah. You know what they... Sh- it's a shame. Yeah, they the could- plagiarized one was actually quite good. Yeah, I mean, it was good. But the new one, they've obviously had to rush it, which is a shame. But the new one, it, it, one thing that's glaringly fucking obvious, and this is a bit weird, but everyone says it looks like the woman's tit is stuck on, like, separately to her body in the new one. And it really does look like that. I was like, I didn't notice it at first, but when I looked like it, it looks like... Well, they've obviously had a hard time with this one, but fuck me. Uh, uh, yeah, don't plagiarise, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And if you are going to plagiarise, do it well. Yeah. Yeah. Do it without no one's knowledge. Mm-hmm. Damn straight. We're giving advice for crimes now on this podcast. This is what we do now. This is, what we do. This is us now. Yeah, well, advice for stealing. Now advice for plagiarising. Uh, plagiarising, eh? Pl- that's plagiarising and stealing. Yeah. It's a new crime. Cyber crime. Okay. Um yeah, mm. and if you're going to steal a handbag from an old lady, uh, make sure she's significantly old and thus weak. All right, should we get to the main... No, should we get to what the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> I was going to say, what's with these new yeah. subjects? <laughs> what the fuck have you what been doing? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> the listeners at home won't oh, see no, this. What in, what in the fuck are you doing? Very good. Well, I've Yeah, I've renamed all of the segments, but just in the document. It's just a little, it's just a little in-joke for us there. Just a little, little, little Easter egg. All right, we're going to go on to what the fuck, what in the fuck are you doing? <laughs> that's, that's what my mum would say. <laughs> it's like she comes in on you ro- role-playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what you slaying? So we've been playing more hard lads, but it's actually called Tough Guys. We've been playing Tough Guys, uh, where the guys are playing a 90s gangster setting. Uh, I'm GMing, and they're playing a bunch of people that are in charge of Wolford, a fictional borough in East London. Nick is playing Mickey Duggar, the boss, and James, you're playing Sydney, um, who's, you know, a new recruit. And uh, yeah, I, I can't remember where we left yep. off last, but I'm fairly certain it was where you guys had got the coke, and then you were attacked by Sharon um, in the square, which won't mm-hmm. mean a lot to anybody. But basically, with the last couple of sessions, it was the the boss, uh, everyone's boss, even Nick's boss, the the leader of the whole gang. Yeah. He was getting married to a stripper that he met a couple of weeks before, and he wanted the party to plan a stag do for him, a bachelor party. And, um, yeah, so they, they ended up uh, sort of planning this trip to Lanzarote. And for those that don't know, Lanzarote is called by English people Lanzagrotti because it's it's pretty fucking horrible. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a manky old town bordered by a volcano and it's, it's nothing to do and it's pretty horrible. And people go there to party and get drunk. Now, what's pretty cool is in uh, it, I, I kind of wanted to have this, like, you know, outside of doing gangster shit mission where it's like, okay, we're just going to organise a stag do for a bunch of uh, bunch of gangsters. And it, I think it went pretty fucking well, but it was like one of them used the contact, which is like a mechanic in Wise Guys, the gangster thing for Savage Worlds. One of them used the contact to get a, a hotel and in, no, a villa in Lanzarote and it ended up being shitty. So they went over yeah. to like somebody's holiday home <laughs> It was very up bad. Up the side of a mountain and killed the occupants inside and just said, oh, look, boss, we got you this great villa and hid the maid that they killed in the previous shit villa. And, um, yeah, then we did a, we did sort of a dramatic task. So, like, a five-man uh, 
um, five round skill challenge where the guys needed to we did basically yeah stag do montage and it was people drinking some of the other gangsters doing security while the boss got into fights and shit like this it was pretty fucking fun actually planning a stag do in a game I think I think it went pretty well too um, I don't know about you guys but I, I fucking enjoyed it mate it was fucking hilarious absolutely loved it It's it was um, I don't know it's just yeah, really good fun organising the stag do. We had the brief. Everything had to be fucking amazing. Yeah, he wanted and, he wanted um, drugs. He wanted it to be abroad, and he wanted women. Those were the yeah. And yeah, unfortunately, because things didn't really work out, the guys kind of had to sort that all out once they got to Lanzarote. And to, to <laughs> yeah. be fair, oh you guys God. smashed it throughout the whole thing because I, I thought that you guys did exceptionally well because we ended up with them doing having drugs having a really posh villa and and doing a uh, pub crawl down their Lanzarote sort of high street and we kind of cut between like each round was an hour so I'd be like okay starting mm-hmm. up you're at a bar Nick what are you doing and then you'd be like I don't know like I'm buying a big row of tequila shots and something like this like and it was yeah then we cut later on to like midway through a fight in another pub and all of this yeah that was it yeah pretty good and he i like how just batshit crazy it was the whole thing yeah it exactly like, it, was, it was really funny cha- chaos yeah it, it, good it was it was not so and uh, but i think that's what we kind of expected i mean and what was cool is that that kind of the planning and the execution of the stag do that was one session and on the stag do it was uh it was told to nick's character because nick's an area boss so the boss comes to him and says that another area boss has been Making and making a lot of trouble, making one too many mistakes, and uh, he's got to Nick's character's got to show uh, Jimmy the shoe a good time, and then kill him while we're on holiday. Like to thank him for his service, yeah. but then also fire him by firing at yep. him. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that's kind <laughs> of uh, that was the, that was what he said at the end of the session, and then at the beginning of the next session, we kind of uh, we kind of started during the aftermath of the stag do. So Mo Exotic, who's this football hooligan, uh, woke up on top uh, on top of the villa, um, having painted Millwall on the roof in toothpaste or something. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I can't remember. And then um, I like how he got there though. That was the <laughs> when we found out how he had got on the roof. Yeah, he had gone to the local fun fun fair and uh, shot himself out of a cannon um, I know it's very realistic but anyway um, and Nick uh, you know you woke up in the, <laughs> in the lounge and fucking one of them was in a bed there were just gangsters strewn all about the floor and Jimmy the Shoe yep. the guy that they had to kill was nowhere to be seen so they kind of tracked him tracked him down and it turns out he had gone to that fun fair in Lanzarote and was just he just wanted one last good time but he was just standing in this old shitty abandoned theme park that hasn't been on in years just like I thought it wasn't even bloody on couldn't even have one last roller coaster before I died and you know how I love roller coasters <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and t- tell us about the uh, tell us about the how how you went about killing him Nico well it was um I, I wanted to do it honourably, obviously, because of, you know, part of the gang and he was an area bo- a fellow area boss. Um, and so the idea was that I would, uh, I thought, well, you know, what better what better way to do it than a darts game? So I said, you know, if, uh, if I win the darts game, he has to retire. And uh, if he won, I'd let him 
well I said I'd let him you know disappear if you like mm-hmm. um but uh so he so he, he accepted that and uh, the only the only obviously we was playing on the novelty sides Dolph uh, Dolph uh, Dolph what the fuck is wrong with me this morning darts bald um, <laughs> in the fun fair and uh, with, with <laughs> Dolph Boyd and uh, with giant darts of course and um yeah, I beat him, and I beat him quite convincingly, uh, quite quickly, and he didn't like that, so he ended up being a bit shameless and losing his honour and just firing at me, so a uh, gunfight ensued. But the worst <laughs> thing, the, uh, the only thing is, right, is that, yeah. first of all, I think it was kind of stupid of him to accept in the first place, because for those that don't know, yeah. Nick's character is a professional dance player, and all of the <laughs> other characters were lying in waiting, like sort of doing help roles oh, yeah, as Nick course. was playing dance. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, it, yeah. they, were, they were so Yeah, we fun. were like snuck into uh, areas where we could attack easily and stuff. And he was his golf the, caddy, James. He was uh, his darts caddy, which isn't even a thing. And then he tampered <laughs> with his flights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah, bruv, do you want me to be your caddy? And he's like, uh, and he's like thinking, oh, he's doing me one more favour before I die. What a lovely lad. And he's like, you know what, said you're all right. I've always said that. And then um, James obviously just tore little rips into the flights of his darts. So when he was trying to throw them, they were just going, just flying somewhere else in the park entirely. Somebody else was turning on arcades, like like sneaking around turning on arcades. The, somebody threw a koala at him at one point. He's like, where the fuck did that come from? Um, oh, he didn't like that, did he? he really <laughs> yeah. didn't. He really didn't like the koala. But the thing is, I, I would. I say this right. If it was like a more uh, evenly matched game, and you went round by round and really gave him a good competition, yeah. I think he would have taken it more like a man. But you fucking obliterated him, and one round got three <laughs> fucking successes. And then it was like, well, he, he, he was like, well, he's. I don't think he's going to be a good loser here. He's going to be a sore loser. No. And so he, t- he, he weren't going out like that. He immediately was like. All right, um, here we go then. And he just pulls out a gun and starts firing. And it was a pr- yep. pretty fucking brutal battle because he's essentially his stats. He's legendary, right? But he's fighting against four sort of novice three characters. But he it means he's very high level for those that don't play Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, probably in one of the earliest rounds, Payne, their bodyguard, he leaps out from behind the Simpsons arcade, shoots his leg off. But he's still going. Like he's he soaks like six <laughs> wounds or something like this, and he's still going. And nobody yeah. can fucking hit him. Yeah. He's on three wounds, right? But he's got such a good a high parry score. People are trying to punch him, and all he's doing is rolling around on the floor, um, just avoiding blows, just blocking their yeah, blocking their everywhere. blows. Yeah, it was nuts. And James, you ended up killing him. How did it? How did it happen? Well, I got like really really annoyed because he was um, he was being really out of order to me. He was bringing up my uh, sweetheart back at back in town and he was being out of order to my <laughs> oh, boss yeah. and stuff and so he really hit on, on personal notes and nerves um, and so I was trying to like stab him in the throat with these darts and then he parried me away <laughs> so um, what I did instead was I grabbed um, I grabbed a pull cue no it was the it was the hammer from the strongman game yeah yeah it was oh yeah. that was it sorry yeah it was the hammer from the strongman uh, game and then i basically golfed his his face off but yeah. from his top jaw oh. yeah that's basically how I it, did was, it. it was it was a, it was a brutal way was, to go but had he taken his feet more like a man he just would have been you know dignified shot in the back of the head but he but yeah yeah he ended well, up being it. killed with the strongman thing and as james smashed it the the machine lit up and was like 
Strongman. Yeah, and that's pretty yeah, much. So it ended up being a bit Reservoir Dogs in the end, didn't it? Yeah, very much so. Like it's like it's like t- at the end of Tarantino movie when he can't think of a way to yeah. end it, so everyone starts fighting each other. And it was like it was literally <laughs> like that. Um, in the end, anyway, they they end up going home and. The unfortunate thing is, is they they've got this business which is kind of a front where they sell all of their their drugs out of a fish and chip shop in Wolford, and the two people they're left in charge for it. Let's be honest, they're fucking idiots, right? So one of them is uh, is Ian Bill, the previous owner, and the other is Keegan, who's about fifteen years old, and he, they'd left them both in charge. And as soon as they get there, the two the, all they see is you know the square where they live has been torn to shreds. Somebody's been impaled on a wall with a spear which is bloody weird and then they go to the fish and chip shop and the front window's smashed and Keegan and Ian Beale are bloody yep. arguing with each other in there and, and it, it, it turns out Ian Beale and the market was all torn up yeah exactly the market was destroyed and long story short ladies and gentlemen what happened was is it turns out that some guy who like they're, they're kind of like what happened and Keegan's kind of like well I don't want to say it blood because it, it's, I'm going to sound stupid in it and then Ian Bill's like, say it. And he goes, all right, a Viking came in here and took the stuff. Um, so <laughs> that's where we're at at the moment. We, a Viking. So they, they're on the hunt for a another gangster who they don't know his gang affiliation yet, but he's stolen all of their products from the fish and chip shop and apparently looks like a Viking. And so Nick used his final mm-hmm. contact in the game to call up his old history teacher and ask about Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the weirdest it's like the contacts are supposed to be for you know the criminal underworld and he, he calls up his history teacher and he's like do you remember me from 40 years ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> the thing is though right the way I look at it is that you get that contact once a game right once an episode and you'll be a fool if you don't use it I completely agree so you might as well use it for something that was a good that was a good end way to use it as well because you got a bit of information on how we to got some fight good knowledge, Vikings to be fair. Yeah. yeah we did get some good knowledge um if we, oh, it was uh, it was a Viking. Yeah, so so to take a Viking down, they're um, they're not very handy without their swords or weapons. So um, you know, get them into a fist fight, and uh, that's what that's the way you take them down. And uh, we actually have a member of the party that's so good at fist fighting now. He's actually there's no point in him carrying a weapon. He's actually worse <laughs> with a weapon than he is with his yeah. bare fists. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he's he's basically taken every edge that allows him to do better at fighting, except for one. But I don't know if you can use trademark weapon for your fists. But I guess if he <laughs> well, if he got them like tattooed or something, that would be great. I was about could. to say if you if you tattoo across the knuckles, then surely that's got to be trademark weapon. Totally. And it, it, but yeah, so that's where we're at the moment. Yeah, the product's been nicked, so when they got back, they, they didn't have mm. any cash this week, but it seems that, yeah, they're going to try and track down the Viking next game. And, uh, yeah, one of the guys has been going around doing a bit of research about it and found that uh, there's a gangster operation operating out of a, um, a Viking... No, a Nor- Norwegian restaurant in Brighton. That's um, it. So yep. that's where they're going to head next game. Um, and that's where that's we're at with lead, fucking yeah. hard lads. Mm-hmm. It's been bloody fucking fun. awesome. Yeah, totally. It is so good. It is so good. And it's like, it's just such a good mixture of like, you know, um, joint up story adventure uh, plus personal gains in Wolford. Like, you know, like it's so like nobody minds when we do a little scene where it's just one character with like NPCs because everybody wants to see what happens. Like, especially like Squid, like James's character and he's like little romantic interest. Oh, you've got to tell him about what's happened with that. The latest. <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell him about the triangle. Uh, 
we've brought it up a few times that it's a girl called Tiff on the uh, on the square who I'm uh, very attracted to and I'm trying to be sweet on. Um, but essentially, like previous session, I've I finally sort of um, made her look towards me um, nicely for once, and things are going <laughs> okay in that world. <laughs> but before we went to um, Lanza Grotti, um, I, I was getting, I was trying to talk sweet on the on the on the girl who was sorting us out. And travel then um, agent, I yeah. yeah, the travel agent, and I rang her up, and then I was trying to, you know, be sweet on her, and then talk nice, and then I was flirting with her outrageously to try and get us a really good deal and stuff, uh, which is how we got a contact um, for like the, the the drugs and stuff when we got there. Um, yeah. But essentially, she she really fancied me and wanted me to take her on a date, and I completely forgot about it, and I was just like, yeah, 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 safety, yeah, we'll do that. Um, and then so the, the one of the other end things that happened last session was uh, Harrison was like said that <laughs> Tiffany knew um, what was it Laquisha? Is it Laquisha? No, her, her, her name her name was um, Leisha, and she she uh, Leisha. You know, it's James is the you know current squeeze. She says to him, "Oh, my mate Leisha's got a date on Saturday. I reckon we should go along and spy on it." <laughs> yeah. So now James is going to be in this like proper old school sitcom style situation where he's going to be on a date with two different women at the same place. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so terrible. terrible! We love it. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, brilliant. Um, but the thing is, yeah, it's like you said, Nick. Ev- everyone. Everyone is like so invested yep. in the in the Sydney and Tiffany storyline oh, totally, at this point. It's totally. like it's so it's one of my favourite bits. Me of the too. Game. Yeah, yeah, so, totally. So good. <laughs> when he's like, I'm just going to yeah. pop round to her house, and everyone's like, Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's going to do something stupid. Yeah. But yeah, um, that is it for tough guys. We better move on. Mm. But uh, yeah, so this episode, people keen keen eyed listeners will notice this episode was going to be about Alpha Blue, which is a very raunchy, sleazy sci-fi game. So I've been reading that in the week and decided against reviewing it for one reason: is that it's not actually that funny or amusing to review, and it's actually quite good. Um, so to give a very very quick summary of the game, it's basically a um, dice pool system you roll two 2d6 mostly and uh, you get minus one dice if you're in a shitty situation and plus one if you're in a good one and you just Ooh. take the highest number on any of the dice to succeed and that's pretty much it all weapons do the same damage you just pick a couple of careers and then those will give you advantage which means you get an extra dice and if you're doing something outside of your wheelhouse you won't get that if you're at a particular disadvantage and then the whole rest of the book, literally the whole rest of the game is all optional tables to flesh out characters. That's that's literally it. Um, so it's like you can have... There's tables for rolling up a random alien. There's tables for rolling up random fetishes you have or little quirks or things that have happened to you in your past and stuff like this. But the thing is, what's weird about it is the artwork is disgusting. Like, it's filth. <laughs> I would, I would, I would, I would we talking hesitate porn? to even show it to you guys. Like, oh, was it porn level? Nick, when porn you, level gross. You, you were looking at it once when you were around here. Oh, and it of was course. Like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and it's... It is, it's like it's really well I don't know it's funny but it's like really really fucked up but the um, 90% of the actual tables and the stuff you get on them are just pretty good quirks for a sci-fi character yeah. not all mm-hmm. of them are heinous and disgusting so ultimately it didn't end up really being something worth reviewing but if you're running a sci-fi game um, it's pretty much it's pretty much system neutral so mm-hmm. you could use it for 
any sci-fi game and it's full of great tables and tools so I would actually buy it despite the artwork just make sure nobody sees you reading it I um, read it on the train <laughs> there is that yeah um, we had someone come round um, no, n- nothing big but it was for my wife for some sort of medical pr- procedure right? I'll just leave it at that but the um, I'd left the book out on the side there because I was um, reading it for review obviously and just as she came in I, I saw it and quickly put ICRPG on top of it because I was like I, I, I it, just like, she must nope. have seen it she must have seen it for about a second mm. but I'm fairly certain I was quick enough to cover it up <laughs> but she obviously knew I was scrambling to cover something up and it's not like I can go look it's I'm, it wasn't porn I was I was I was um, I'm reviewing a porn like game it's, RPG, for, it's role it's role playing uh, <laughs> imagine that <laughs> that's kind of far out Mazes and Monsters is a far-out game. Um, I bought a, uh, a another product as well. Um, actually, I did. Um, ICRPG mm. Deck of 52. Now, what this is, um, is a deck of cards for ICRPG that have got ICRPG artwork on them. Um, and there, it's quite interesting because in the ICRPG core book, there's a... Uh, there's a section on you know how to play the game with cards and optional rules for things like that, and I thought oh maybe you know you buy this deck of cards and somewhere there's like a supplemental rule um, thing for using with ICRPG like extra rules for using cards for this that and the other, and um, I put it onto the Facebook group and I'm like this didn't really come with anything except for a nice deck of cards. So is there any other uses for cards um, in ICRPG that people have thought of? And the creator of the game just commented gin rummy. So I'm like, well, <laughs> that's really helpful. Thanks, mate. So I just deleted the comment. I was like, uh, okay, I get it. It's just a deck of cards with ICRPG artwork on there. Fine. <sighs> anyway, uh, yeah, that's, about, that's the review for that. Snap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for what we've been saying. Let's go on to the main nubject, shall we? <laughs> Fucking hell. Yes. <laughs> Nubject. Main. Subject. Magic. Main. Subject. Tokyo. Main. Subject. All right. So, you know, look, GMs out there, we know how it is, right? You've got. You've got shitloads of you got shitloads of books and and it's just it's so I'm going to start this again right so to, um, so GMs out there all right well, you've all got that one book that you return to all the time even it doesn't matter what game you're playing but you're so familiar with this book or there's so many good ideas in it that you'll often go back to it and use material from it for other games and it slowly becomes the one game you'll never let out of your sight and this is kind of what today's episode is going to be about we're going to talk about the one book every gm needs and to, to confuse matters i'm going to give you one and nick's going to give you one so really it's the two books and then we're going to go into your suggestion so it's really about 14 books <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and there's a nice wide range of books to have as the one you must have <laughs> yeah yeah but well you could get them all printed into one really thick mega book so if I had to, and this is probably quite predictable, right? But if I had to stick with just one book for GMing, right? My choice would be ICRPG, otherwise known as Index Card RPG. Now, I know that it's a game I've actually only run a handful of times, but I'm going to explain why I use it all the time for GMing reasons. And I've been reading it a lot recently, and I reckon there's probably a little bit of recency bias in there where I'm like, I love this thing now, so it's the best thing ever. But I'm, I promise me, like, I use it all the time. Um, hmm. 
But yeah, in my humble opinion, ICRPG is basically a must-read for every DM, even if you don't run it. And by putting on my speedos and taking a deep dive into the ICRPG pool, I'm going to show you a lot out there <laughs> in Radio Land why you need the book. Oh, yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, all right. Nice. So as I mentioned, ICRPG means Tightly index wide. card RPG, and the reason it's called that, it's not played where it kind of is, but it isn't, right? But it comes with a bunch of images that are printable on index cards that you can use to plan games or use as props in your games. And more than being like just a playable RPG, it's also like an attitude or a philosophy, which is slightly cringe, but it, <laughs> it kind of is. Um, so yeah, it's like how about how to play and run games really well kind of thing. Um, so I'll get get a bit into the system here because I think it has a lot of cool ideas in there that are really portable over to other games and uh, um, the book's intro basically makes the sort of attitude of the game clear by making these five points over a few paragraphs that really boil down the essence of ICRPG the game and it's build your own world, run a great game, be an epic player, master your creativity and make a memorable table now I know it's easy to say run a great game right that's good advice but the book elaborates on it it's not like it just says run a great game <laughs> do it that's just it. do that okay it's it's, 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 it's it. like at the table when we tell each other you know rule number one roll well <laughs> what is the rule number two we, run love, a great game i love it when it's like a really important role we're just like right just remember don't fuck up yeah and then when you get roll badly it's like what did we fucking say what did we What's just you? say to you <laughs> yeah. You, it's like when, when previously, like last session, the character dies. We enter a new one. We go right, guys. Right, guys. We go right. We go, no deads. No yeah, deads. Yeah. Okay. We all no agreed? deads. Yeah, yeah nobody's good. dying. Right, so even if the it. dice go that way, often the players will like shout at me and be like, "We said no deads." Oh, yeah, what the what fuck? You do, yeah. What the hell? What the hell, umpire? But yeah, there's lot, lots of like little ad- bits of advice and mottos later on. But this, these five points are kind of the essence of the game, and it's about utilizing your own creativity and intuition in a way that means that when you're planning games it doesn't take forever and in such a way that the cool parts of the game are all done at the table mm. um, rather than in your notebook so how does the bloody thing work well the system is like really simple and it basically follows the classic D stats but also has something called effort so in addition to strength decks intelligence all that shit on your sheet you also have basic effort weapons effort magical and ultimate effort and whenever you hit something you roll weapons effort and whenever you're trying to do something else you use one of the others and things that aren't monsters are also given hit points that you need to whittle down so to give an example let's say a warrior is fighting off a swarm of city guards while the thief is desperately trying to open a lock to the bank vault right the bank vault is assigned say 20 hp because it's a shitty one um so well the guards have 10 each so the fighter is rolling his attack attempts and then rolling weapon effort if he hits and at the same time the thief is rolling lock picking attempts and rolling basic effort if he succeeds whittling down the safe's hit points so what it means is that certain activities are no longer boiled down to a single roll or um something like that so it means that two things can kind of go on simultaneously like that yep um, yeah, and hit points are grouped into increments of 10, which are called hearts. So if I tell you that's a one heart door, you instantly know how long this is going to take. You could, you if you're scoping out the, the vault, for example, and I tell you, okay, that's a five heart door, you'd be like, no, it's too, it's too heavy at the moment. I can't do this quick enough. Let's get the fuck out of here and yeah. do it at night. Do you know what I mean? It's, got, it's a very nice shorthand for that type mm-hmm. of thing. 
But going back to effort, this uh, means that essentially an extended skill challenge or a dramatic task can go on at the same time as something else during a fight without having to use a different system. So everything uses that kind of same familiar system of rolling to attack than rolling damage. Um, but it also means that environment and other things can become more challenging. So climbing a cliff and rolling to succeed will have a completely different feel to five players rolling effort to climb a three-heart cliff, risking damage and crit fails as they make their way up. So it's pretty fucking cool like that. Yeah. And this kind of aspect is one of ICRPG's like main innovations. It's kind of central to how the game works, because most of it is systems you already know, but tweaked for game flow with an emphasis on using almost no subsystems or alternate rules. It sticks to the mechanic of rolling attempts, then effort for pretty much everything. It's worth noting though you do have normal rolls, which are just called checks. So something like jumping over a hole, that could be a check. You mm -hmm. just roll and then succeed, right? So not everything has hearts because otherwise you just it kind of would make no sense where somebody's rolling effort to get over the hole. Suddenly everything goes into slow motion, but somebody does it in one roll, so they just fly past you as you're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> slowly slowly going through the air. Yeah. I like how everything's yeah. a fight. <laughs> I do everything, like that. Everything you're just, doing is a it, fight. It kind of is. It kind of is. I mean, it's just it's the uses the same mechanics as a fight. But yeah, if you want to if you want to call it yeah. that, then that's fine. What are you doing? I'm just fighting this treasure chest. He's trying to get <laughs> yeah. open. Someone that's, <laughs> someone that's into action. That's an easy sell, isn't it? You're fighting everything, guys. Everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, so um, crits are pretty fucking cool in this game too. So you see, every type of effort right has its own die. So basic is a d4, weapons are d6, magic is d8, and ultimate is a d12. So every time you crit, you roll effort, but also add ultimate effort too. And you guys, in the couple of times you've played ICRPG, it feels so fucking good to be like, okay, you're rolling your regular d6 weapon damage and a d12 on top of it. It's, mm -hmm. it's fucking good. Yeah, that is fun. It really put, it put emphasis on the word ultimate. ultimate. Yeah, and you know, um, rolling ultimate effort is is one way you can take out enemies in one hit as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The, it's pretty fucking good. I mean, we played the ICRPG Fallout hack, and we had a guy that basically just beefed out his weapon effort. And when it came to rolling ultimate, and he was doing like you know D six plus four plus D twelve, it's like it's like yes, that's fucking good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, character character creation is, is really simple as well so you just get six points and you divide them amongst your stats and effort and those become your bonuses that's it so once you've done that you pick gear class and race and you're done um the six points you can earn more points if you take a minus and something but there's not necessarily much point so you could take all six points you have for creation and put them all into strength if you just want to do a guy that's just strong or you could put it all into ultimate effort if you just want to be somebody that crits really well yeah um so so yeah i mean it's pretty simple like that and uh yeah then you've got uh, gear race and class the gear's done kind of simply where you will pick you know just from lists of things or pick packs of things you know um, but the classes they're really cool and simple so the guardian for example starts with a pair of shield gloves which means he adds his con to his armor score nice and beneath that you'll see each class has milestone rewards so these are like what your character gets when he advances a level for example the blade class can choose from things like a diamond whetstone that you can use to sharpen a weapon so that damage explodes on that weapon Ooh, now Ooh, that's um, cool Mm. or the shadow class can pick uh, the thieves gimbal I don't know what a gimbal is but I like the word gimbal gimbal 
meaning that you get to roll one piece of loot every time you crit. So you're such a good thief that every time you crit, even if you get get a crit on a door, right? Say that you're trying to unlock. Mm-hmm. Maybe you you got the crit, so you slip your hand behind the door and you quickly just while you while you're doing the job, you know, you put your hand in the letterbox and nick something. Yeah, exactly. And you just get to roll for a new piece That's of awesome. loot. Pretty, pretty great. Um, but yeah, um, there's another one, a mage milestone as well, which is pretty cool, called the shield crystal, where non-magical ranged attacks literally can't hit you. Now, the both of you have played this before, but listeners, you're, you're probably beginning to notice something here, is that uh, basically each class has recommended starter loot, gets loot for leveling up, can roll for extra loot when they get certain other loot. And basically, the game's progression is entirely based around loot. Now, stick with me here. I know it sounds bad and video gamey, but it's entirely loot drop-based, but milestone rewards aren't necessarily an actual thing. You can choose to paint them any way you like. If you unlock the Lion Belt on the Commander class, for example, it'll give you plus three armor, but you can just say, it's not a piece of armor, it's actually that I've been in the gym. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That, Trap it. It doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be an item, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And so, as such, the book also comes with several loot tables. So, it's not just milestone rewards. It's also, like, random shit mm-hmm. you find when doing killingsmanship, which is what <laughs> I've... That's a new word I've come up with. That's cool. <laughs> Sounds right. Um, thanks, I like, thanks, Nick. Um, that's one of my favourite things about ICRPG, um, which is the fact that it's all loot-based. Because if you do play just one session or an extended one or campaign in it, then... The one thing you'll learn from it is to always consider looting the people you kill, which is a really good thing to do because you can, you know, you pick up good and interesting things a lot of the time you do. Yeah, that. I mean, if you're, because it, it, there's basically the one, the table that you roll on if it's just like a regular enemy and the player says, I search the body, is called Shabby Loot. Shabby Loot. And there's a hundred items on there, but some of them are actually really fucking good. Like most of it's like food or beer or things like, or coins, whatever, but... In this case, yeah, you just roll shabby loot. You might get like a really decent weapon or something like this. It's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, the only thing is, yeah, you've got you've got to remember to loot shit because so often it'll be like players, or especially the players in our games, will be like, you know, be ten hours later and they've moved countries and then they're just sort of like, oh, we should have looted those guys back there. They're cool guns. That big, and it's like, yeah, that big boss, that massive <laughs> boss that had that really cool thing. Probably should have picked that up after. I also think you know that that in in ICRPG the way it works is that because it's loot based characters tend to differentiate themselves mechanically quite a lot. You can have three guardians that are completely fucking different, um, which I think is pretty yeah. decent. Um, the loot tables are basically split into cursed, shabby, epic, ancient, and sci-fi. Um, each has their different flavour. They're pretty self-explanatory as the kind of loot you get on the tables, but ancient loot is specific to Alfheim, which is the game's primary fantasy setting. Mm. But the book also comes with a sci-fi setting called Warp Shell 2, and then that's the sci-fi loot table. That's pretty much the game in a nutshell. We'll get into the minutiae a bit, a bit here, but you get the picture. It's a simple rules-like loot-based game with the effort system. But here's, here's a few of the quirks that make the game well worth playing. Um... And actually, a bit of design genius, in my opinion. Um, firstly, difficulty is set for each room or area you're in. So it isn't set according to each task. So the difficulty ranges from 9 to 22. And it means that if you attack the uh, alien ship with your ship in this area, you've got to beat a 12. That's what you need to hit to succeed. But similarly, if you're in the same area and you want to wrestle someone, intimidate an enemy, whatever, it's all a 12. And people... 
hate this, right? And I've seen people argue against it because it's like, how can everything be the same difficulty? And it's like, no, it really isn't, right? Here's how it works. The, you, the GM can still call for an easy or hard roll, which lowers or raises the target by three. So, but the base difficulty of the scene is is a twelve or whatever you yeah, said it, sense. right? Yeah. <clears throat> it's like video game levels, yeah. you know. Yeah, and this is heavily video game inspired, mm. like it really is. Um, but the the thing is, is like also you're encouraged to buy a giant D twenty or print off some cards with a difficulty on it, and you just put it in front of the players and just say, "This is the difficulty for the room." Everyone knows what they need to beat, yeah. rather than saying, "What did you roll this and the other?" Is that mean? Is that is is that high enough? Yeah. Yeah, they're just they're looking straight at it. Yeah, and they they just know like if they fucking beat us, and it can scare the crap out of you. You know, you got you got you got a D twenty sitting there on twenty. Everyone's sweating. Yeah, and you know what? It's a very good point. If you're playing yeah. anything mildly horror themed, and this does have some subtle horror themes in it, you you go into a room. The GM doesn't have to explain why the difficulty has suddenly jumped to an eighteen, but you just <laughs> yep. go into a darkened room. And the the way you can say that it's not realistic that everyone would know the difficulty, but you can just say you're filled with a sudden sense of dread. Mm-hmm. Put the eighteen on the table, and oh, everyone's like, mate. "Oh dear, yeah, that's really good. I like that." It's, yeah. and it's, it's like a universal yeah. language for telling players how difficult everything will be in the current situation. Mm-hmm. Think about it not as individual tasks, but the situation. Yes. And you know, the the game comes with um, all of the targets as images. So when we played online the Fallout game, I just stuck the difficulty in the corner of the map, and everyone can see it. Yeah really fucking handy man but yeah additionally another cool innovation is that turn order is always static and you remain in turn order throughout the whole game cross talking and planning can be done at any point but actions are always turn based so you start with the GM go to the next player go to the next player and go um, clockwise around the table now uh, the the author of the game has said you know this isn't necessarily the most realistic or innovative or, or like uh, even good way to do it but what it does preserve along with the target number is game flow you just everyone knows the turn order you're never rolling for initiative and that's it you just move on do you know what i mean mm-hmm. It's like not the best way to do it, but it's nice, simple, yeah. and keeps the game going. That's it. And and the spells are pretty fucking great too. You have two types, so it's int and wizard spells. With int being more wizardy and the other being more clericky. But mm-hmm. caster, the, any caster class, when they level up, they can pick a new spell as a milestone reward, which is nice. But what makes magic so good is that all the int spells fit onto one page, and all the wizard spells onto the other. And the spells are never more than one line for the description. Nice. They're so simple. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the int spell Arcane Bomb, it just says, plant this glowing orb in 1d4 rounds, it explodes for 4d12 damage in near range. Simple. Done. Um, yeah, and there's a whiz spell called Slow Time, which pauses a timer for one round, which I think is pretty fucking good. And this neatly, lads, brings me on to uh, the real reason I think this game is so worth buying, because the GM section is full of neat tools and advice, and one such thing is the timer system. So the game takes place within three different methods of time. So it's uh, it's moments, hours, and days. And no matter what time of time you're playing, you still stay in turns. But I might say, Nick, it's your turn. What are you using this hour to do? Or what do you spend a day doing? And in almost all cases, the GM will slap a timer die down onto the table, usually a giant D4, right? <laughs> And he might say something like, "You've made this. You've made a fucking racket, killing the goblins in this room. You hear footsteps. In three rounds, more will be arriving. Right? right? So the players yep. now know there's a threat. Mm-hmm. They have to sort this room out and get the fuck out in three rounds, or they're going to be in another battle. Pretty fucking cool. 
Or if you're journeying and it's taken bloody ages and you're playing in days at this point, you might slap the dice down and warn the players that shitty weather is coming and they're going to freeze to death unless they make it in two turns. Now, here's the thing that will really chive your spuds, right? Because oh, yeah. notice that I said turns there instead of round because the GM can choose to make it either turns or rounds, right? The timer. So if suddenly right. it gets to the GM's turn and he tells you the town card is getting fed up of you trying to convince him to allow you, allow you guys into the city and he says you have two turns to convince him, suddenly you look to your left, the next two turns is like the warrior and the barbarian right <laughs> yeah, because you yeah. put you put those up in turn order first and so you've got two turns to figure out how you can change the tide of this conversation <laughs> and that's just it's like that makes it really tense because that's when the timer gets really narrow it's like yeah, okay those two guys good. have to sort this out that fucking sucks i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> Because the thing is, that would be pretty shitty. In that particular example as well, cross talking is allowed at any point. So the other players can chip in by talking, but the big actions that say for a bribe or a threat, those have to come from those two players. And it's like that—that that makes a lot of tension. Because let's say, for example, you're doing a fight and there's a big portal and something's about to come out of it, but you need to kill the wizards in the room in three turns. Suddenly, the strategy doesn't become let's hit them, let's hurt them. It's like how can we actually kill them in three turns? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fucking great, man. And uh, I love it, mate. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I, I, I absolutely love that part. And it's um, basically there's the way the book de- describes using timers is the three T's, which is not our podcast. And I think you were owed some money for that, aren't we? Yeah. Hold on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's threats, treats, and timers, right? So, ideally, every room or every encounter we should say is there's a threat in the room there's something worth getting in the room and mm-hmm. there is a timer so in the um example that i've i've given just there the threat is being arrested the timer is two turns and the treat is being allowed into the city for free do you see what i mean yeah 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 gotcha um, so you don't always have to tell players what the threat is as well. So you might might just say, as you peer down the corridor, you see that the rafters above look as if they're under immense pressure and could collapse any minute, then whack down the timer. The players probably think the ceiling's going to collapse, but really D4 rafter creeps are going to come through the ceiling, right? Yeah. So they know there's a threat, they can hear something, but they don't know exactly, exactly what it is. Exactly what it is, yeah. Yeah, genius. I like it, I like it. Um, it's a very nice. Great way to add suspense and tension to a game, but there's so much more advice in the book as well, and probably the best part of the book is the ICRPG course in room design. So, Hankerin Furanail, the author of this game, believes that the room design is the most central aspect to a GM's arsenal, and as such, he gives you kind of a crash course in room design. And I won't ruin this part, because I think people should buy the book, but the game does include a lot of brilliant room design archetypes, and this is probably the thing I go back to the most when making scenarios for you guys because if I'm really in a pinch or a room in a dungeon I just look at that take an archetype it even comes with the difficulty um, for the room attached to it so you don't even need to set that yourself nice. I just take one look at that and go okay that looks like a fun encounter I'm going to whack that into the game and it's really really cool um, one example that you, I've used in our D&D game that you guys played was the pinch, where the PCs are forced to enter the battle through a small opening, risking mm. attacks from all angles, but basically the same strategy they used in the film 300. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm aware that I'm going a bit long, lads, but there's also a section on the ingredients needed for a good adventure, how to finish a session, how to design a story, ingredients for a good world, alternative ways of resolving checks in an RPG, and quite a bit more. And the cool thing is is that you can tell he's got so many years of experience because 
He has this idea called the end of session role, where even if you're mid-combat, you cut off at a certain time and you give everyone one last action and say, here's what I want to do for my last action, and you, you end it on a cliffhanger. So you go, yeah, you roll, and then he'll say, yeah, you sw- bring your sword up into the air and you're just about to hit it, and then we cut off or whatever. Yeah, yeah, nice. And it talks about one essential part of the RPG experience being the chat after the game. And he's like, it's, it's during, he calls it the afterglow, you know, when everyone's had such a great time and you're like, oh, that was sick. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he's like, that's a lovely way to put it. Yeah. And he said, it's like, it's like one of the essential parts of the game because you can get what people are feeling about it. And at that point, no more playing, just have a chat for 15 minutes. And it's yeah. just like advice like that is just, it's invaluable. And it's yeah, amazing that somebody 100%. thought to write it down because I just mm-hmm. thought it was something our group did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's probably more common mm. than we think. Which is really think nice. People just go, oh, okay, yeah. bye. But really, if you're playing these, you're all nerds. You're all going to sit there and go, "Oh, I love that bit when you jump for the air, the magic missile." (laughs) Do you remember when I kicked that goblin in the bottom? Well, to be fair, the um, D and D game I played at our local store was it was actually a bit the opposite of that. But that's because I didn't like most of the people that were playing the game. (laughs) Well, there you go. Um, Well, that's that's where you got annoying. They were just kids and they kept talking all the time. Yeah. all right, but yeah, the, so the game is basically uh, designed from the ground up to be modular, right? And this is pretty much my one reason for recommending this to anybody, because there's so many more tools than even I've, I've mentioned already. But because the game's modular, you can use it as a plug-in for other games, and you're even advised to from within the book. It tells you this. Mm, so nice. timers. I try to use those whenever I can. I constantly use the room archetypes in other games. Room difficulty, I often do that. Why not put any of this into a standard D&D game or DCC standard damage for weapons the effort system there's no reason all of this can't be used in any other game lastly there's a couple of really nice additions that make it worth getting though so first it comes with two settings right and they're kind of mini settings and it comes with uh, shitloads of random loot but the best thing is the print and play stuff because ICRPG is kind of reliant on this distance system where you have near, far, close, things like this. So it doesn't use a grid, but it is best played with minis. And as a result, the book comes with about 200 printable paper minis to get. And I got mine printed up professionally on card for almost no money. And it's it's just amazing. So... Mm. Yeah, it's got that, the the cards that it comes with, and all of that is just, it's, it's like for fucking 15 quid, man. I mean, how can you how can you knock that? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's about it, really. But uh, one, the one last thing is just to talk about the uh, the index cards and how they work in the game, because it is bloody named after them after yeah. all. But essentially, all it is is that you can draw them for prompts, and the game kind of has this... Uh, flowchart that you kind of where you kind of pick out cards and you have one that's like the setup right so in the book he pulls a beholder so the setup then you would look at that and go well okay so there's a beholder doing something and the next one is the obstacle next one is what happens next and it's kind of Mm -hmm. like this big escalation that you do by pulling index cards you can do it at the table at the time without any planning which is fucking great or you can just do it to plan your adventure before and I did it the other day and I got a really really cool adventure about this like guy who'd stolen some government secrets and the king wanted the players to go after him but he'd hidden himself in really deep in the woods and managed to finagle some monsters to be on his side to guard him. Nice. It's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, that was mostly from my imagination, but the cards you pull kind of spark that and they have a certain flow and order to them um, because of this little flowchart thing. But that's why it's called Index Card RPG. 
I've been waffling for ages. So basically, uh, yeah, buy it because it, for just for the GM section alone, you will use it forever <clears throat> in all of your games. Sounds amazing, mate. Is it um, second edition now? It is. For some reason, the Master Edition hasn't come out yet. I thought it was supposed to come out soon, but there's a quick start guide on the website that you could use to play the game pretty much forever. It's got everything you need to play a game in there. But what that does is it combines the three main books for ICRPG, which is Worlds and Magic, but you don't actually need Worlds and Magic, and I think there's a couple of changes to the new one that I'm not necessarily that happy with, where they've complicated classes a little bit more. Okay. Um, but I, I so don't know. Yeah, second so edition, second edition I think, is really worth playing, and it's going to be the one I'll, I'm going to use. Yeah, I'd say cool. so. I'd say so in a moment, but take a look at the quick start, because it's pretty fucking good, and it's, nice. it'll give you an idea as to the game. So, How about you, Nick? You, you've been you've been GMing for as long as you've been alive. Tell me what's what's your what's your the one book you should own? Uh, mine's mine's probably not a surprise, um, and you know, banging on about it for years. But I just 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 think it's a must-have for everybody, and it's got to be uh, Savage Worlds Deluxe Edition. Yeah, it's yeah. you know, it's not saying that the new one's not good. The new new rules are great. Borrow them as well. Um, you know, the new the new uh, um, dramatic task and chase rules and that they're fantastic, but. For everything you need to get started and for everything you need to be able to kind of get people involved um, and the, just the, the, the portable size of it, the fact that it's got everything in there you need to get going and that it's quite an exciting and generic system. It's just the, the I just think everyone should have it. Everyone should, should try Savage Worlds, even if they're like hardened D&D fans. I just think everyone should have this book. It's well, cheap. Don't, so, don't forget, it's really, really good. it was like, you're the reason that we got into Savage Worlds. It's Nick is the reason, yeah, um, because he picked up the book for you know for cheap, yeah, and then we just like oh yeah, let's give this a go, and then obviously at the beginning we were like we were D and D nerds, yeah, we sort of bounced like, off it a little like, bit, but um, no, I'm so glad we could we then, persevered. I mean the, the campaign was great, um, it's yeah. just that we were so weren't used to having bennies, and now I can't go without them, you know? totally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, so, so, like such a core mechanic yeah. now in everything, but it. Work. If you've got like so, your Savage Worlds is like your pick. So, what do you think? You know, it has that you can. Uh, that what do you learn from it as a DM that uh, you wouldn't with any other game? Do you think? Well, what I like about it is, I mean, it was the first book I ever re- I ever read in the RPG hobby. So obviously, getting your head around the kind of language and stuff was. Um was a little bit of a task and 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 the, you know the book is a little can be a little bit confusing in parts but for the most part it, it it explains things quite well like trappings and stuff saying that you know you don't have to be kept this one type it's all about kind of making it individual with your own kind of imagination that kind of vibe i really enjoyed in the in the book you know that kind of um mm-hmm. just you, you just make it how you want it to work and here's the framework in order to make it mechanically work you know and and for me that's what i like and you know the cool the cool rules that get that that make games exciting like the bennies like the exploding dice um you know that for me i think is it's a very good it's a very good book to use and also it's it's nice to that it's got very generic um you know npcs and and a little bestiary in there as well because they can be used for anything you know use the soldier cl- uh, you know use the soldier class whatever just that could just redress it to something else and that kind of mm. that kind of theory is nice and once you get your head around that i think that really helps it definitely helped me anyway to then kind of branch out and get into like other types of games maybe more complicated systems and whatnot but for me it's a very very good starting stone for someone that never ever played an rpg before that book was written for someone that could kind of comprehend it a little bit more well and i think that um i think that ultimately the game 
unlike other generic systems like GURPS, for example, or, or Genesis, it instills in you that the rules aren't the most important part. What's, yeah. what's more important is the flavor you put onto them. Like, for example, I've seen people take, you know, the bolt spell in Deadlands, and I've seen one guy trap it as that he had a b- b- cannon that fired bean burritos out of it. <laughs> and I've seen another person yeah. trap it that nice. it was a Hadouken. So, there you, go. you know, there's there's all sorts of different things. But, yeah, mm. I, I completely agree. And I think that, that book is full of a lot of really great lessons because mm. the thing is, Math nerds will tell you it's actually not a great system because it's too swingy, because this, that, and the other. But here's the thing. I think, I don't know if you're the same, Nick, but I think Savage Worlds taught me that perhaps a game being more swingy and is is a good thing because yes. in, in Pathfinder, for example, if you're playing it exactly rules as written and you know a person comes up to you and goes, you killed my son, I'm going to fuck you up, and he's holding a long sword in his hand, and you've got 40 HP. You know, you know, you know, you're going to survive the attack. You could just go, <laughs> yeah. yeah, please stab me in the face, and he would do yeah. it. But the yeah. thing is, Savage Worlds, okay, it is swingy and it is unfair. But that's what kind that's of what it, makes it, it fun. kind of taught me playing it. Yeah, that the fun should trump fairness at yeah. all times. Yeah, yeah. That's why DCC yeah. funnels are so fucking fun because it's like, okay, you're dying every 30 seconds, but isn't that a good laugh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like the fact that it's another one of those ones where because of the uh, system, it allows you or forces you to uh, concentrate more on the role play aspect and what's actually going on. You have to be more descriptive in what's happening mm. because, yeah, when you're a maths nerd playing your, your D&Ds, your Pathfinders, you, you can just sit there and then you'll just be like, right, I've got a good enough calculator in my head and I just know that this is going to go this way or yeah, whatever. Yeah, true. And he's like, right, I'm just going to equip myself with that and I'm going to win because I know I'm going to win because yeah. I can understand it. Whereas this is like, right, well, I've got a fucking dog lead with no dog on the end and then oh, that's that's it. <laughs> but I'm going against someone with a gun, <laughs> yeah. but I can still yeah. win. Yeah, and it's if, just like, if you get lucky enough, and I think, but it really encourages players to to play cinematically for that think reason. Think outside the box. Yep, yeah, definitely, well. yeah. definitely. And it's like um, you know, even an extra with no wild dice can take down the big boss in a funny situation. And Savage Worlds, I think it's the one games where one of it's very one of the few games where we're constantly, you know, when we're around the table, especially shouting our mouths are wide open where we can't believe the role was exploded that many times you know mm. and it definitely invokes a kind of energy and excitement that you can't get in other games sometimes absolutely and um so do you reckon nick then that uh, system wise it's a, a game that everyone should play or is it more that do you think that everything that it comes with and the advice and the style of gming is a reason that everyone should read this yeah, what I what I like, what I think about. I mean, I don't you know I don't want to say everybody should play Savage Worlds because I'm sure there are people out there that you know that's not to their taste and that's absolutely fine. But I definitely think everybody should have a look at it because it's definitely and you know just the whole one shot kind of idea as well. You know, it's definitely a book that can sit on a shelf. Hardly, you know, maybe it's only ever picked up at Christmas when you go see your family and you want to do a fun game that they can play because they're not into D&D or it's too complicated. And for that, it fills a hole, you know? And I just think it's just the perfect, one of the perfect little books to have on a shelf that everybody should check out because there's some stuff in there that might make you rethink how you run games. And, and, and also, you know, like I said, the whole one-shot thing, it's, it's genius. Well, I, I had a, uh, a player once tell me that he when he usually plays RPGs, it feels like... I'll just say who it is. It's a mate of ours 
called Phil, and he's played he's played nothing but D and D his entire life. Like his, he used to play it with his family and shit like this. And he spent the last two years, well, it'd be about three years now, in the same combat in D and D. And oh um, my god, what I just think that's insane. But so, but the thing is, well, I I introduced him to Savage Worlds, and a he thought he said to me that he thinks it's the future of role playing. I'm like, it's been out ten years, mate. I don't <laughs> think that's really true. But the, he um. He basically said that when he plays in my games, because I've only ever run Savage Worlds for him, he said it feels like a movie. Whereas when he plays in his games, it feels like watching the worst episodes of Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh my god! But the thing is, as well, you think right? I've played a couple of games with Phil, and um, oh my god, how amazing and out of his shell was he when we played one of your um, Savage Worlds games? Do you remember when he played that gangster? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we played the curse, the curse of the mummy, didn't we? It was kind of, and uh, yeah, he got he really got into it. And the thing is, it's like it's as James said, you know, like the cinematic nature of it because you're dealing with wounds instead of hit points, because you're dealing with you know exploding damage, right? It's like in in a film, let's say let's say for example, you know the the badass fucking uh, you know action hero woman is sitting there, and two guys come up behind her with guns, and she looks down at mm-hmm. her salad she's been eating and sees the fork, right? She yep. she and then she just wrenches it back and slams it into the guy's eye. Okay, that's that's a multi action. Okay, it's an improvised weapon, so you've got penalties on there. But if you dice ace enough times, you can yep. you can take that person out and you can do that cool cinematic move, especially if exactly. you're a higher level character. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so fucking cool because in D and D, if you did that, you'd be like, oh, what's the damage for a fork well a club is 1d4 and it'll be probably about half that so yeah do 1d2 damage so you pick up the fork you jam it into the guy's eye and he goes can you please not do that it's really annoying yeah that's itched (laughs) yeah savage worlds you've you've killed the fucker and also exactly you know there's there's loads of setting rules i think that reinforce this and the book comes with shit loads and I don't know what some of your favourites are, Nick, but I, I there's there's one that I've I've yet to play with, but I think it's quite good for a game where you're playing kids or a game that's completely cinematic. But it's called The Heroes Never Die. Oh, yeah. So it means that the main characters they'll become mortally injured to the point of retirement, but they can't die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's right. if you're yeah, doing sweet, a chase and trying to get the bad guy, if everyone goes down, well, you fin- you you failed the chase, and there'll be consequences. But it just puts it all about role playing and being cinematic, and it means players are going to try weird shit. I like the, exactly that. Yeah, uh, setting rules are fun. Yeah. Um, I used to like the old gritty damage. I like gritty damage as well, but it just it, it's quite a lot to keep track of because it's yes. like a it's a setting rule where you get an injury every time you get hit, um, and it's, yeah, it kind of makes players not like kind of be careful about when they want to fight. It's good for a more more deadly game. If you well, want that's to use it. That. When you're playing a really brutal deadly game, you can. But and that's the beauty of it as well. You know, you say playing that, a bunch of elderlies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's but then there's there's rules and there's settings for everything, so you can you know it, it should tick everybody's boxes for what they want to use it for, and that's why I like it. I think, and you know, we've I been playing it for as years. Well, one one major point you haven't touched on, Nick, is the mm. is the sort of the size and portability of it. Well, that's it. Exactly that as well. You know, fits in. Oh my god, can fit in like anybody's backpack. It's a tiny little book. Well, it's not a tiny book, but it's a small, portable size book with plenty in there. And you know, it's even got a couple of ventures at the back. So you do literally just need that, a notebook and some dice to play. And that's that's the beauty of it, I think. And it and it was such a reasonable price for a full setting book back then. You know, back in the day. Um, what was it? Twelve, fifteen yeah. quid, twelve quid. Yeah, I think yeah, you got yeah. picked up for a tenner, didn't you? I got mine for a yeah. tenner, and I, I don't think you know that it's still you know still look at use it now. It's covered in bookmarks and <laughs> sticky bits, but you know, I've somehow wound up with three copies. I'm fairly certain I've got somebody <laughs> else's. It might have been, but mine. yes, it's easy, it's easily probably like uh, uh, at that moment 
having returned back to it like I spent we spent a little sabbatical away from Savage mm. Worlds last year and having returned back to it I'm kind of like you know what the, this game it just makes gunfights so fucking interesting any fights for that matter yeah. Yeah. because of the the way it works you're not dealing with stupid shit like like how oh I did five hit points I did five hit points combat is really quick exciting mm-hmm. deadly it's a good laugh, man. And and you know we played it so much over the years that that it should be a testament to the bloody game. But, oh, um, totally. Yeah, I mean, one thing I wanted to point out as well is that there's the uh, the whole thing of um, the in the book. You yeah, you have adventures, you have monsters, you have archetypes, things like this. So if you need to just quickly pull a game out of your ass and bull- bullshit your way through it for the night, you can do that. And <laughs> yeah, totally. I remember one time uh, we had a GM that forgot his fucking. Um, forgot his character sheets and we all just picked an archetype out of the book and wrote it down on a pick paper real quick oh, and yeah. you can do that hey, yeah. that's it that's yeah. the beauty of it it's, it's a cracker it, yeah. it's funny it though because good. we picked Savage Worlds and ICRBG right and both mm-hmm. of them are kind of the same you can create a character in minutes and ha- and be up and running so it's yeah but I think it's one of those but well both of those games are kind of ones that you it's like you can just pull out at any occasion that's what that's what I love about them because you can have your absolute loves you know I love Call of Cthulhu Call of Cthulhu can't stop boiling their stuff because it just looks great and it looks good on the shelf and you can have your favourite mainstays but I would always say if you've got ICRPG Savage World sitting there um, you know you're covered you've got all bases covered if you've got a new group that might be in something different that's out of your comfort zone you've got the tools to create something really wicked with them between them two books totally and also you know the swinginess of savage worlds lends itself to con games too because totally players yep. can die pretty easily and also um like crazy over the top shit always happens so yeah i would uh, i think that's a good choice for you nick but Thanks. should we get on to uh, the listener choices let's yeah. do it in the future you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir, is the Electro Letter. If you need to own one book, we know what we would get. But what would you get out there in Radio Land? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Lewis Pineda, he says, that's a good one. I would say any edition of the Savage Worlds core book, not necessarily for the rule set. It's more about understanding the mechanics of the game of the game aren't what makes the game. And yeah, that's what we said as well. Trappings, mm. uh, storytelling, descriptive narrative, the mechanics are the skeleton, the structure, the template. It's up to the GM and the players to flesh it out and give it life. Yes. The Savage Worlds does a great job of explaining this with streamlined skills, trappings, and genericness. Yeah. I think I think he's spot on there because you know it's it, the trappings thing. Not a lot of people know this. You can do that in any RPG. You can rename any skill. That's the funny thing. It's just make it. It's just it's just rewriting those wires in people's brains that have never had it before. You know, if it's not statted in a book, it's not. It doesn't exist. It's like no, just just be a little bit more loose about it. As long as you, it's the I think, relatively a similar thing, you can retrap it. <laughs> It might be why why Savage Worlds lends itself to cinematic games as well because it yeah. puts focus on imagination yeah, rather yeah, than the, the writer's imagination. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Even look at the new rule in Adventure Edition where you can influence the story. Yeah. You can spend a penny to influence the story in some small way. Find an item. Maybe the villain gives pause. Or maybe a, an ally comes in. Whatever. Right. But the point is, is that it's the players that make that flavor. Okay. Yeah. The GM has to has to approve it but the thing is the players make the flavor and it's like it really it's all about just being creativity being mm-hmm. creative mm-hmm. if you've got a bolt spell don't say i cast bolt say <laughs> uh, i cast dragon fire or, or <laughs> yeah. lightning 
and my hands turn blue <laughs> when the flame comes out. You know, whatever. It's cool. It is very fucking cool. Daniel Irwin, he says a copy of Fatal. <laughs> what <laughs> is he? Yeah, he says, as a warning to players that what will happen if they misbehave. <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> that, that is he it. just that puts is... it on the table. He's like, okay, That's you want to play this? Mate. You want to play this? Well, stick to the fucking railroad, you piece of shit, because otherwise <laughs> you, we're going straight down to this. We're going to spend eight hours making characters on the 11-page character sheet. <laughs> Choose the anal circumference. Oh, my God. And that's another thing. You know, Savage Worlds and ICRPG, they don't have any anal circumference rules. So, no. worth a punt. No. Daniel, no. he does have a serious answer, though, lads. He does say, uh, the first game system you ever ran, good or bad, to remind you of the thrill of running your first game when you're tired and burnt out and sick of running a game. I think that's quite lovely. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's quite lovely. The only th- the only trouble is, is I got rid of mine, so I can't do that anymore. But to be fair, the first game I ever ran was D and D Fourth Edition, and so I sold yeah. them because uh, ah. but, yeah, whoops, <laughs> whoops. But what do you think? Do you, you you guys have still got the first game system you ever ran or played? I'm sure of that. Yeah, I'm still well. I've been, just been talking about it. <laughs> oh, Call of Savage Oh, Worlds, Savage Worlds, yeah. of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, well, mine's kind of. The, the the history isn't it Pathfinder yes yeah yeah perfect alright Yorkus Rex he says I see RPG core rulebook uh, this game is all the game is alright I actually think it's really quite good but the sections on story and encounter design are must reads for any GM and yeah I've said that I couldn't elaborate too much on it in this podcast but yeah 100 fucking percent like you'll learn more from that book just by reading it than you probably have in a, a couple of years of playing do you know what I mean because it's and also, yeah. um, one thing I recommend, and to you two as well, Nick and James, is uh, mm-hmm. the guy who wrote this, um, Hankerin Furinell, he's got his own YouTube channel. He's got his own one, right? If you can believe such a thing. What? Um, <laughs> and he, he, he basically does long-form kind of video essays and d- demonstrates it with minis of how to do how to design things like that. So he, he's got a 45-minute video about room design, about trap design, about creating AI for your monsters so that you're completely impartial. So he, he has little Ooh. sheets for each monster that say, if this, then that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, that's cool. And you know what? One of the best tips I learned from watching one of those videos as well, and this will prove what a genius hankering is, because he um, he said here's 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 one of the the deadliest ways you can put give AI to your monster and be completely impartial. He says, get your wife to come in and control the monster for a night. When they get to the boss, say you come in and you're controlling this. I suggested it to my wife, and James, you've played in games where she's DM'd, and you know how cruel oh, she man. is. May, may, may. She's savage. So I died once because a bit of moss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember this. Because James wanted to jump onto a rock and she didn't want him to jump onto a rock, so she killed his character. With moss. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, when you get to a boss, you bring in, bring in the AI, the wife AI. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Bring in the AI. Bring in the AI. But, yeah, so, yeah, check out Hankerin's uh, YouTube channel and also, yeah, give fucking ICRPG a read. It's really good. Um, thank you, Yorkus. Mm-hmm. Can I just say one thing before we move on, though, please? Yes. Can I have a moan? Uh, yeah, go, go on. on. So, Hankerin Furinale is his pseudonym that he uses for writing, right? And it's hankering for an ale, right? Yes. And I've I've heard people say oh, it's really clever, right? Because it, it sounds like a it sounds like that's his name, but it's actually hankering for an ale, right? And I'm like. But hankering or fur and ale aren't names. That's like me saying, "Hey, my name's I really want a beer." 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not clever. That's what I, I don't get it. I don't fucking get it. People are like, eh, it's so can funny. I, can I'm I have like, a drink? Can I have a drink? <laughs> <laughs> but, but funny enough, there's a friend of ours uh, called Gary, and he he'll often like call his characters names <laughs> like that in his games. Yeah, and he's always. He's a, he's an old perverted man, and his games he'll, he'll often have like really busty lady miniatures, and they're really called they're called things like suck you off or hand drop umbrella. Uh, um, the next one comes in from Lee Williams. He's a sly furrow. Yeah, I think he might have had a stroke when he was typing this, so um, I'll try and decode it. But um, he's a sly flourishes lazy dungeon master, and I think we mentioned this on an episode before, didn't we? Yes, or we did. Wrong yes, we did. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah, good. It's a good one. It's, it's a, a good, good one, man. It's it's it, it's like such good fucking tips for people that, that, that it's like basically quick hacks to making good shit in an RPG, and it's like. You know, have in- index cards for the big boss and just give is them three traits. Is it D and D centric or is it aimed at D and D? It's aimed at fantasy. I'll put it that way. It's got no rules, but it's basically yeah, okay, more yeah. on the world creation, mm. encounter creation, yeah. adventure creation side. So I've mm-hmm. been using a lot of tips from it recently in Tough Guys, where basically each adventure takes up a quarter of a page in my notebook. I'll just write down a yeah, couple of key nice. points and. Yeah, um, I I couldn't agree more. And he actually did a second one called Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master too. So yeah, check those out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, nice. they're on Amazon. Yes, correcto. Um, Garrett Weinstein. He says the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders DSM five. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't Thanks. I don't know who you think you are, mate. But this <laughs> is not the place for comedy. As you can tell, this has been very unfunny so far. I don't, I don't, and I, I don't want you coming in here and fucking that up. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you, boy. thank you, Garrett. Henrik Erlandson. He says, "Dungeon Crawl Classic Soft Cover Rulebook, best bang for the money." What do you guys think? Agreed. Oh, yeah, yeah, I bought that. I bought that for that bang. That was twenty quid. Twenty quid for five hundred fucking pages of a game that oh, you could play mate. for years. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just ludicrous. It's very I, good. I can see why yeah. Joseph. Goodman still has a day job because he can't be making money on those. <laughs> but for that, for that point, we love him. Uh, Johan Hofflin, he says, I'm very proud to own a copy of Cyborg Commando. I can always thre- threaten my players that if they misbehave, the next session will be in that system. And that's still a running theme here. <laughs> Daniel Owen's doing the same thing. Yeah. I think I'm going to start doing that too. I've, I've got a, my, an RPG shelf full of shitty RPGs that we've reviewed, yeah, but, reviewed but on yeah, the show. Yeah, the thing is, with us, we'd just be like, yeah, fuck you, let's do it. And, yeah, and it'll be it, against you, it. wouldn't it? It'll end up being against you. Oh, I've got to run all these shit systems. Oh, oh bastards. Yeah, well, I like it. I like the image of, like, like you know, a game going on and then, like, someone just going, um, GM, another question. And, it's, and then GM just, like, kind of, like, huffing and then going, right, that's it. Getting up, walking over to his shelf, <laughs> walking back, slamming this whatever book it is on the table. And then all the players are just like, all right, sorry. Roll sorry. for anal <laughs> circumference, all right? You've pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, right, that is it. Um, <laughs> Crossover episode. Sean Hunt, my brother. Hello. How you doing? Hello, Shut up, Sean. <laughs> Shut up. He says, Savage Worlds Deluxe, best all-round book in the biz. And you know what? I, ha- yep. I-, I have to agree on the deluxe front, right? I know all of the yeah. other Savage Worlds listeners talking about Adventure Edition. Obviously, Adventure Edition is a nicer book, a better game. But deluxe, it was the right price, man. 
We complained about it, it a was lot, such and the it's right now price. finally the game it always deserved to be. But the thing about De- Deluxe yep. is, it was so cheap and so fucking good. We got years of play out of that book yeah, for like yeah, ten quid. Yeah. Still do, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, new books what thirty something quid. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a cracking book, it's a cracking, it's a cracking product. But like you said, yeah, I mean, that was the book that could get you into the hobby, nice and cheap, and you had everything you needed for ages. Yeah, that was the beauty 100% of it. Hundred fucking percent. Um, so yeah, uh, next one comes in from Owen Lean. He says, Story by Robert McKee. I believe this is actually not an RPG book, but it's like a one about story writing. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think oh, cool. as nice. a storytelling method, RPGs are quite different to just simply writing a book, but you can learn a lot mm-hmm. from reading about you know story structure and stuff. But just don't, oh, totally. don't expect to read all about you know the hero's journey, a story archetype, and then your players to do that. Because... The, the hero's journey in, a, in an RPG is that a bunch of homeless guys set out, kill everyone that annoys them, and then eventually save the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, the final one comes in from somebody who thinks he's the comedian of the group, and he says, uh, Terry Hansen, he says, the copy of Playgirl that features the late Peter Steele of Type O Negative. What does that even mean? I think that's a band. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. And it's a copy with a man in it. I don't know about you guys, but I... I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm like really manly and love women, <laughs> <laughs> and some men. And say, yeah, oh wow, just had a look at him. Yeah, he's an American musician. What are we talking, Nick, on the uh, on the hotness rating for this book? On the bonus scale. On the bonus. Well, I'll tell you what. Then let's do a live reaction um, because I think this really deserves Where it. So <laughs> some pictures he looks better than others. I'm going to put it in we- the Discord. Oh. Okay. There he is. I mean, I can't be honest. That was not what I was expecting. Not at all. Mate. He looks like fucking Chris he Angel. Looks like... Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what. He's quite, he's quite good looking, but he looks like a vampire, and I just really wasn't expecting that. Oh, hold on, no. boys. Hold on, boys. I mean, if you want the, if you want the full shebang, this is what Terry's talking about, and I wonder he's got this episode. Oh, for oh, fuck's sake! sake. Uh, this that, that edition of the magazine. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, he's topless and he's he's doing a seductive pose. Oh, it's an even worse one. Oh my god, there's an, I'm not going to show you the even worse one. Don't. Don't, Don't the, the funny no. thing is, is that no. oh, we're no, using oh, no, our no. current role-playing one. group's Discord for this, and Nick's just posted two pictures <laughs> of sexy men into the group. I want. No, he's done it. <laughs> <laughs> we're currently looking at a picture of this guy, and he's sitting naked, covered in roses. I think that must be from the. And candles. It must be the. Oh, actually, can I tell you something? No, I can't because my mum listens to this. Never mind. Um, so I'll tell you after the recording. But fucking um, that picture there with the one with the roses and candles and shit. That must be the one from the Playboy. It's very tastefully done, right? Nick, stop well, posting these. Like Nick. <laughs> he keeps putting these. these... <laughs> There's a, there's a goat in this, in this just, particular picture. Nick's just posted. There's a goat skull in front of his junk. I can't wait till next Thursday. Uh, yeah, all the all the group are going to see this, and they're like, "What the fuck is Nick doing?" <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think I think now Sorry, we're, we we're looking at pictures on an audio medium, so I think that's a good place to go to the outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. McDonald's is a place to rock. It is a restaurant where they buy food to eat. It is a good place to listen to the music. People flock here to get down to the rock music. Rock and roll McDonald's. Rock and roll McDonald's. 
right, here we are in the outro. Um, would somebody Pleasant. please explain what the hell that was all about? Um, I'm sorry. We did a... That's Terry's fault. It is Terry's fault. And you know what? It's made... We This was originally going to be a raunchy episode, and we've ended it the way it should have begun. <laughs> well um, done. But yeah, I, <laughs> I just want to say a big thank you to Julian Burnick, Ryan Wayhab, Jason Duncan, and... Mm. <laughs> you're right there <laughs> I can't remember the last name the fuck I can't remember the last name Absolute. oh Ace B fuck me how could I forget oh my god right, how can you do, forget do Ace alright and I just want to thank Ace B Julian Burnick Ryan Wayhab and Jason Duncan they all pledge at the Dreadlord level on Patreon as such right they're A gonna get these pictures of this bloke what's his name oh uh Peter Sutcliffe uh <laughs> What's his name? What's his Peter name? Sutcliffe's Peter Playboy magazine <laughs> debut. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Great. we're, we're going to send you these pictures of this half-naked man, and also, you know, they're part of the Dark Army. You can be for as little as a dollar over on Patreon. We've got loads of tiers. Mostly, we don't do anything with them. But if you want to keep the show going, we will stop if we if the money stops. So. <laughs> <laughs> Salted hat. All right. So, Salted uh, yeah. If you want to email us, three t pod at gmail.com and obviously we're on Twitter and uh, Facebook and uh, Whittle and Monk. <laughs> nearly said a really terrible word. All right. So I've been Harrison Hunt. <laughs> I've been Nick Lambslice, and I've been James Clark. Uh, remember that D twenty is cool, <laughs> but covering up your dong with a rose. Now that's a good time. <laughs> See you later, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Very good.